You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. What is up, Tone Mobbers? We don't really have like an official title. We should probably work on that. But all that aside, we've got a serious episode for you today. This is nuts. Buzz Osborne from the Melvins? That's who we're talking to today. That is absolutely bonkers. If you had told me that this was going to be something that would actually happen, I would have called you crazy. But here we are on this podcast, what, like six, seven years later, whatever it is, and I'm talking to Buzz. We had a really, really interesting chat. We had a really good time, and I hope you enjoy it. Who am I kidding? You're going to enjoy this one. This was a fantastic chat. But it bears mentioning, and I don't want to sully this with too much preamble nonsense. If you're waiting on a message from me, I just got back from Nashville. I was down there doing some work stuff with the Stringjoy folks, with my, my wonderful people at Big Gear Pedals, Karen and Grant. And I just had a bunch going on. I still have a bunch going on. I don't know when I ever will not have a bunch going on. And that is awesome. But all that to say, if you're waiting on a message from me or an email or whatever, I will get back to you as soon as possible. I'm absolutely buried trying to keep my head on straight. And really, that's all I all I should say at this, this point in the episode. I apologize to anyone who's waiting on a message from me. I'm really doing my best to get back to everyone. But it is uh, quite the avalanche when I go, I go rogue for a little while and I don't pay 110% attention to what's going on on the interwebs. So all that to say, I'm sorry, but I hope you will accept this wonderful episode as a token of my sincere apologies. And hey, let's get into it. Stop talking. Let's talk to Buzz. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tone Mob podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland, and with me today, I have none other than Buzz Osborne. What is going on, man? Hey, how are you? Dude, I'm super stoked about this. Uh, thank you for having me on your show. I'm. Thank you for being here. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Good. I think, you know, we can probably not do what I usually do with guests who have been on for the first time and go over like their whole backstory, because I feel like that is probably well established with my listeners at this point. <laughs> I would take uh, most of the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we'll just see what happens when I start from this point. Sounds good. Uh, your distortion pedal that you did with uh, Hillbish is, yes. is one of my favorite things, and I used it all over my last record. So That's great. Know, it's so cool. Can you tell me how you got hooked up with Nathan and how that all started? Nathan... Hillbish is a great guy, and um, he in uh, 2016 got a hold of the um, guy who uh, records all of our records pretty much, uh, Toshi Gasai, mm -hmm. and he sent him a preamp that he'd made, thinking that if he sent it to Tosh, I would probably try it, you know, mm -hmm. and it's basically. Um, a takeoff on the Sun Beta lead preamps that I've always used that are from like the late 70s. Yep. And so I tried it and it was great. And I was like, oh my God, you know, I'm finally found something that I can uh, switch over to uh, from these Suns because the Sun, as great as that stuff is, it's literally, you're talking about solders from 1979. Yep. And, uh, uh, um, I would have loved to switch to something new that sounded, you know, the way I wanted it to, which is a, uh, um, it's a, it's a solid state preamp um, that you run into a power amp. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so I said, I tried it and I said, you know, I got a tour coming up. We we're going to do a U.S. tour with Napalm Death. And I go, um, he goes, well, take it on the tour and test it out for me and see how, how it does. And so I brought it along with one of my sons and used it every single show for the whole tour. And I told him I'm in, I want to buy more of them. And so he gave me that one uh, for trying it out for him, road testing the whole thing. And that was a good test because, you know, that's, I can't remember how many shows it was 40 some shows or something like that. And it worked perfectly. And so I bought uh, two more from him and uh, um, uh, we just went from there. Then we started talking about, let's do some uh, boxes. You know, how would you like to do distortion boxes? So I told him what I wanted in a distortion box 
which was uh, um, something I discussed with the guys that I play with, um, Steven and uh, Kevin Ratmanis, who I used to play with. And they're like, what distortion boxes, they play bass. They go, what distortion boxes lack is this mid-sweep. Mm-hmm. They never have a mid-sweep. And certainly don't on bass, bass distortions. And so I was like, we got to have a mid-sweep in this thing. And so, you know... Um, you know, uh, high, low and mid. And, uh, and then, um, talked about what boxes I liked, um, what I wanted out of it. And, uh, because first and foremost, what I had to tell him was if the amp doesn't do it, distortion box is not going to do it. It's not going to save your, save your sound. Um, you got to have an amp that sounds good by itself before you can add the, add the distortion to it or, you know, a box like that will just sweeten the deal. But if your amp itself isn't work, isn't correct, uh, I think it's a really super bad idea to try to fix it with a box. Cause now you're depending on the entire sound that you have in one stomp box. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so, um, I, so the amp already sounded good without anything and you add in the distortion box, it works really good. Now, I really like that. I like the, uh, the other thing I like is the mix control, which means you can go, you can mix in or out as much of the signal as you want. Yep. Which most distortion boxes don't have it. It's either on or it's off. And it was, it's on, you can set the level of distortion. That's about it. But this one, you can actually set how much amp is in it versus distortion. Yeah. Yeah. I love that about it because some clean blends on, I've had them on other boxes before and it's hard to describe, especially because I'm not an electrical engineer by any stretch, but sometimes they sound like, they're sit, the signals are sitting on top of each other rather than actually being blended together. Um, I'm sure that's not a technically accurate uh, description, but yours has a nice blend to it. It actually sounds mixed together as you dial it up and down instead of it being kind of stacked, if that makes any sense. Yeah, he, he, Nathan is an electron, electrical engineer. Mm-hmm. He is. That's what he does for a living. And, uh, and, and But he's a super big music fan as well. So... Fortunately, he was a fan of us and liked what I was doing, and um, he's easy to deal with. I'm very much uh, into the idea that I'm working with a guy. When I call, I, I'm talking to the guy, right? And which is the same with the guitars I use, electrical guitar company, mm-hmm. Kevin Burkett. Same thing. I'm talking to Kevin. Uh, I really like that. I like that kind of um, um, closeness you can have with somebody like that. You don't get from a big company. Yes, totally. Don't. Especially, I mean, I might get that if I was like, had sold, you know, 10 million records, it was Slash or something like that. I might get superstar treatment. And I'm not really looking for superstar treatment, but I want something where somebody's actually listening to me and um, we can talk about it. Just don't want someone um, telling me they're going to do a bunch of stuff and then just blowing me off when they realize that we don't have gold albums. <laughs> right. That or it's, still, you know, it ends up getting watered down or designed by committee, you know, and then it's like, wait, this is not the thing that I... I said that I wanted. It's kind of like a record in that way. I, you know, I've never had that experience with records, but I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I pretty much made the records that, well, 100% made the records that I wanted to make. Yeah. Um, the time I made them, um, I haven't had uh, any uh, 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 experience with uh, being, you know, pushed into the corner by someone of any stripe. Mm-hmm. Whether it was Atlantic Records or Epic Hack or any of those people, they just took the records as we made them. That's fantastic. Yeah, a lot of people don't get that kind of uh, experience. Sometimes they they get uh, bullied into you know making something one way or another. And I, I mean, I'm sure some good records have been made that way, but largely, I think most people's favorite records are designed by the artist and the team that they have assembled. You know, and that's the that's some of the favorite gear too is that way most of the things i have that i really love are made by smaller companies just like you're talking about you mean sometimes that works um the, the smaller com- i mean it's the same with like indie versus major there's not like every indie's great right no one has ripped me off more than indie labels ever <laughs> i believe that I believe if you that. don't want to get paid just make sure you do your record on an indie mm-hmm. You'll absolutely get nothing for sure you know almost for sure i mean the find finding record companies that that are indies that will actually pay you anything is as rare as a dodo bird. And that's, that's how indie record labels survive now is by not paying you anything. So but not, not, it's not like they ever did really pay you, but now it's worse than ever. You're just not going to get anything and you'll record the record yourself. 
You'll pay for everything. You'll give it to them and you'll get nothing. Right. Zero. So or the label will go to a big distributor. They'll get some huge advance. Then the, the, then the label just keeps that money. And then the bands will never collect any royalties because the, the, the distributor will never pay them any royalties because they already paid the label a bunch of money. Right. Right. So it's just, a, it's a mess. What do, what do they, what this, this is a topic that comes up a lot on this show. Cause I, you know, this is not the same as trying to make a record, but in the way that I have been able to get people to listen to it in the way that people listen to music these days, it's kind of similar in some ways. And I, you know, didn't have anybody supporting me other than the guests and the, the listeners. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately is like, what point does a label really serve in this day and age is that you've, you've had all of the experiences. What, what do you think about that? Well, it depends on what you want as far as like, uh, um, the label sometimes can do, they can manage it with the distributor to some degree to make sure you get paid. A lot of times with the distributor, what they'll do is they will cross collateralize everything that's on the label. Mm -hmm. So if the label puts out three records, um, then they'll go, well, you had money from the first one, but then you took money for the second one. So we have to get that money back. And then there's money for the third one. So we have to get that and instead of, they can do things like that. And if the label's not careful, then you're never going to get paid. They're right. just never going to get any money for it. And so they can facilitate that sort of thing. Um, what I like about it is uh, you can have somebody that's pushing your stuff in a wide variety of different directions that you don't, maybe as an artist, don't have time for, you know? Right, right. But, you know, the genie's out of the bottle with this thing. Um, music is basically free. And um, it's difficult to figure out a way to make any money doing it. And people think that um, as a result of that, music is actually worthless, which maybe it is. But, uh, you know, um, there's only so long I can make records that make me absolutely no money before I don't make any more records. Right. Exactly. It's just no point. And doing it. I can't just do it to lose money. I mean, yeah, you can make crappy recordings at home and make records or put them on the internet. Sure, you can do that. But it's like our mastering guy said, he's like a guy we master all of our stuff with, John Golden. He said he has never met in the last 10 years, he has mastered he's never mastered worse music ever in his career. Because it's the wow. worst sounding crap that he has ever heard. Because people have completely forgotten why they did it with professionals in the first place. I can just do this at home. Well, sure you can. You know, and you can send in an out of phase record and and that has all low end because you mix it on computer speakers and and wonder why it all sounds like crap. Good luck finding records that sound any good. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. So really, if you make something that sounds good, it's going to stand up and up above a, a lot of crap but that's kind of always been the case but um uh uh so you know there's there's give and take in all those departments just because you have a recording setup it doesn't mean you're going to make good records just because you have the, the ability to get it out to millions of people doesn't mean that that it's going to be good you can't throw technology at something and make it good you just can't it has to come from writing songs and things along those lines which i think is important but the labels um you know, if you want to do something, it's kind of nice to have a small partnership with someone who's there working on that side while you're doing the other side. Mm -hmm. I don't have time to do everything. Yeah. You know, most people that do end up not lasting for that long anyway. Yeah, burnout's real. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's something that uh, I think everybody deals with. It's, it's happened to me before and it's, it's not fun. So if you can avoid that by taking some of the you know, the load off your shoulders. I could see where that is beneficial. Yeah. But just getting it, you know, the distance between a indie band and a, a check is the longest distance in the world. You know, it just almost never happens. So you just got to be careful. I work with really good people. I work with the guys at Ipecac. They're great. I work with Tom Hazemar. He's great. Beyond that, I haven't had a real good experience with most labels. You know? That's interesting. Have you ever considered just doing it all on your own? Good, but I mean, I have to have uh, a lot more free time. That's fine. I mean, I'm sure I could do that. And I'm sure in the future, that's exactly where it's going to end up. Fine mm -hmm. with me. I mean, I'm in this for the long haul. I've watched things since before there were CDs. Right. And um, I personally like CDs. Uh, people, they're really cheap and they sound really good. Um, I think people uh, are going to realize that at some point because records are expensive to make. And by and large, they just sound like crap. <laughs> you know, I just don't. I don't, uh, 
you try AB in them. I'm sorry. People are hearing stuff that isn't there, you know, but I don't care really how people listen to music. I mean, if you want to listen to crappy sounding MP3s or streaming, fine. What do I care? It doesn't bother me. It's the same as the uh, people listening to 90 minute cassettes of stuff they recorded at home out of convenience. I get it. And I'm fine with that. And I'm not a Luddite. I'm not sitting there thinking, well, it was so much better in the past. No, really, I'm not a good old days kind of guy. I'm a move forward type of guy. I'm not a legacy guy. Um, So uh, 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 vinyl to me seems like it's a, a... Fine, we'll make it as long as people want it. But as soon as people don't want it, why would I make it? I'm not, you know, born into that technology and live and die on the vinyl end. But I think it sounds like crap. But people think it sounds fine. Fine with me. I'm not going to tell them they're wrong. You know? Yeah, I like it from uh, just the perspective of if I'm going to buy something physical, I want to buy the most physical thing. It's just fun for me to have as a fan, you know? I, I get that. I get that. But uh, it's it's one of those things where it's like, does it sound better? Probably not technically, especially on my system, which is, you know, not some sort of crazy hi-fi setup by any stretch. But I do like the intention, like the intention it brings to listening versus it being a more passive experience. Um, You know, you really have to you have to go do it. You know, it's not just kind of playing in the background. You have to physically go do it. And for uh, my generation that like, went from CDs to streaming vinyl, I think holds a lot of that appeal. Um, yeah. I mean, if you need things to do with your hands, that's fine. Mm-hmm. It doesn't bother me. Like I said, I would never like, there's lots of people who will tell you and go into graphic detail about exactly why you're wrong for wanting to listen to CDs. I would never do that. Right. I'm glad you want to listen to records. It's great. It's music. That's the important thing to me. The vehicle that it's on makes little difference to me. Mm-hmm doesn't matter what's important is the music and the fact that you're hearing it right that's important yeah you know that the rest of it i just don't it's not it's not a it's not a flag anywhere i want to plant my flag i'm just not going to do i won't make cds i won't do this i'll make anything (laughs) yeah how do you want it how do you i don't care (laughs) you know do you want to listen to my music or not i don't have a political statement to make by how people listen to music What's not real? It's just numbers, zeros and numbers. Yeah. And you're probably listening to it through a computer. Even though you have a giant vinyl collection, you probably listen to the download card more than you, far more than you listen to vinyl. Fine with me. <laughs> of course, because you have it in your pocket all the time, right? That's it. You yeah. know, I have, uh, you know, iPod type situations. I love it. I can take practically my entire record collection with me. Most of which is stuff I burned off of my CDs onto the computer and now you can burn it at a pretty high rate and it sound okay but i store my music on cd that's if i want a record like this morning i'm listening to on the corner by miles davis mm-hmm. cranked that sounds awesome you I know mean, cd it sounds awesome and, and people think i was listening to something the other day through a, a, a friend of mine's really great system uh one of our records and a being on just like the vinyl just doesn't sound as good it's almost like there's too much information for it to sound good well and a lot of people don't realize this but you you do have to have things mastered differently for vinyl because like i can't like i had to cut so much low end out of my record because i just i'm a baritone fiend and i'm using sub bass and doing all this ridiculous stuff but like it had to get totally redone to get pressed to vinyl and i think a lot of people actually don't know that they think that it's all the same process well, I've, I've talked to people about that, too, because you go to a mastering session, they'll show you the, on the oscilloscope right there. There's a high end that has to go. There's a low end that has to go for your vinyl. All that goes right on your CD. And people, the vinyl fetish people will go, well, you're never going to hear that anyway. And I was like, no, I disagree. <laughs> oh, I you disagree. will. <laughs> you definitely will. You, what you think you're hearing is warmth is usually compression and distortion. Mm-hmm. You know, usually. But like I said. I don't really, really want to make that big of a deal out of it because I just, I appreciate people listening to vinyl. If that's what they want to listen to, it's fine with me. It really doesn't bother me. I'll make it if people want it, but that's the only reason. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you're not a purist because you, uh, you, you play in the solid state amp, which yes. I'm a fan of that particular amp as well. I have, I, it's actually right behind me. You probably, uh, I can't see it. It's probably behind my giant blue shirt, but what is it? It's a Sun Beta lead. Uh, it's oh no, you can't see it. It's I under. Can't. It's under the red amp. Sorry. <laughs> that's, Combo that's amp. Listener. Um, Combo. 
Yeah, it's the combo, the 212. Yeah, those are all right. Yeah, and they have the, the, the speakers that are inverted. Yeah, they're really weird. Hard to mic. Facing each other. <laughs> yeah. I think they did that to save space, I believe. Is that why? I was trying to figure it out. I was like, this yeah, doesn't... Yeah, because then it, then it can fit into a situation where it's the same size as the head. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm sense. speculating, but I've used those amps for a long time. You can chain those amps together really easily off the back. Yes. And, and then uh, then the first amp becomes the, the, the rest, slaves the rest of it. Okay. Okay. You know? So you can run that into another one and run because what I used to do is slave two heads together and then um uh uh run a double 15 cabinet with one and a 412 cabinet with the other. That's raging sounding. Oh man, the, the so combo or the master volume for the top one runs the whole thing. Yeah. You know, that's raging. But it, what I realized later was I started using stereo power amps. Um is that I liked being able to control the sound of each cat or the volume of each cabinet. So there was nights where I'd get on stage and I go, tonight the stage is more high indie because every stage is different. And then I can, I can back off the 12s and have more of the 15s. Mm-hmm. Give myself, balance it out a little better. Sounds, sounds a little better. It's amazing. You can't do that. You can't do that if it's one volume for the whole thing. Yeah. No, no. It, it's, it's crazy what a room does. And it also, like when you pile bodies in it, then it changes again. <laughs> yeah, it changes. It definitely changes, but every stage is different. What I, another thing I realized, especially with cabinets, I don't want feet on my cabinets. I don't mm-hmm. want I don't want casters. That just guts it. What you want is the cabinet with no feet, no no rubber. The cabinet sitting directly on the ground on the stage. Mm-hmm. That is the best you're going to get your cabinet sound by far. If you have it up in the air, sitting on casters, you're losing the resonance of, of the stage it's on. That becomes really difficult when you're playing on like a solid concrete stage. It's really not much you can do. Right. It's just no resonance whatsoever. And it happens. And you start thinking, my amp sounds like crap. My amp sounds like crap. It's like, nah, it's just a stage. Mm-hmm. So you do your best. That's why I love sound checking. I never, under, never, ever, ever understand bands who don't sound check. It's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> They're you're bands charging these people. Check? charging these people money to come and see you play and you can't be bothered to come down there and check it out before you actually have to do your job. I don't get it. I've I mean, never I've experienced here. that before. Oh, I've seen countless bands, especially if we're opening for another band, countless times, not sound check. Oh, they're not sound checking tonight. I'm just like, what? How can you be that stupid? It's like, oh. what are you here for? Yeah. And Why are we here? What are you doing instead of that? <laughs> like. Eating Look, chips? I don't know. Like I don't know. Not there. Sitting yeah. at the hotel, staring out in the middle distance. You know, I want to know to the best of my ability what I'm in for that night. And then I take away from the sound check um, what it sounded like. Because usually the first song in any sound check sounds like crap. Yeah. It's like, I'm in for it. I'm just in for a terrible night. I know what's going to happen. By the time you do three or three, three, four songs, you can kind of figure it out. But I have a really simple setup on stage. I don't run, I use monitors and it doesn't matter how big the stage is. Um, I don't run anything through my monitors except vocals. Okay. That's it. Because I can hear the bass and I can certainly hear the drums. (laughs) 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 I have any trouble hearing both of those things. And uh, um, I don't want, I also don't want to rely on something like monitors for uh, uh, me being able to play music. Because right. you, you just setting up another another roadblock in your way about what whether it's going to be good or not. So I don't like side fills. Once in a while, I'll run a little bit through the side fills, but then you, we don't usually travel with a monitor guy, and I have to tell him just like this: I don't want anything in my monitors except for vocals. <laughs> okay, so you want hat and and, and snare, and you want no. some bass come in there. Start over. I don't want anything in my, you know, it's like they can't believe it because they're so used to, you know, um, I need to have the hi-hat a little louder, blah, blah. It's like, whatever. I mean, what happens if the monitors go out? Are you quitting? You walking off stage? You know, not me. I want to be able to play whether the monitors are working or not. That just comes from thousands and thousands of shows, you know. Do you prefer uh, like regular stage monitors or you use in-ears? I've never used in-ears. Um, I, I can't imagine how that would, to me, it'd be like playing with, you know, with the headphones on, which I, in the studio, I try to avoid headphones as much as possible. Okay. Um, um, uh, 
I want to be able to play on stage and find all the sweet spots for my amp. Usually try to locate those during sound check where it sounds the best. Mm-hmm. When I'm playing certain things where the amp reacts the way I want it to for feedback. And then I remember where those spots are when I go back out there and do the show. And so I'm not going to hear that if it's all blasting through my ears at the same volume. I want to be able to get out of the way of the amp and hear the room and hear what the drummer is doing and hear what the bass player is doing without me being in the way, uh, me it just be blasting guitar. I want right. to hear the ambience of the room. It's To me, it's, it's more of a physical experience than almost anything else. Many years, I just, I just, you know, I've never tried them, but I just can't imagine. I think it would step all over everything I'm doing. Yeah, you've got way more experience than I ever have. But my experience with in ears was that, but you know, you'd have to completely change, you know, how you're used to doing it. So I'm not suggesting that you should do that because it's clearly working. But for me, the in ears provided like this level of detail that I was like, oh. Because I, because I would not probably run just my vocals because of that same problem. I need to hear everything, and the in ears provided a level of detail that I was like, "Oh, I didn't realize that I was doing that." You know, like, "Oh, I made a mistake here that I wouldn't have other otherwise heard." You know, it might have been covered up by the bass and stuff. But um, it's kind of a different thing. But like, obviously, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know. I mean, maybe it would be better. I mean, I don't know. I, I but I like to hear. I like to be able to get out of the way of my amp. Um, I also don't like stacks. I like to have my amps below my uh, head. Yeah. My speaker cabinets below my head, um, especially for vocals. I try you running four, four by 12s, a stack, you know, two uh, stacked right behind you while you're trying to do vocal. It's like all you're going to hear is guitar. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, I'm going to compensate for that by having drums, everything else pounded through the monitors. Well, why don't you just set up different? <laughs> and as far as the mistakes go, I'm going to make mistakes no matter what. Mm-hmm. I mean, I make mistakes even on the, and usually it's this absolute simplest part of the song. <laughs> yeah. I can relate to that. It's like, okay, just come in right now. Right. No, it. Right. Oh, I missed it. Oh. You watch everybody else makes mistakes. That's okay. I mean, the guys I play with are super good players. That's true. And, and um, I can rely on them, you know, and I can also rely on them. If they make a mistake, they're not going to get, lost they're gonna figure it out oh yeah I'll get back on it mm-hmm. but we all, we're, we're way past the idea of beating ourselves up for that kind of stuff i mean these kinds of things happen right okay it's just this is how it goes yep that makes sense are the juice of playing live uh steven's actually been on the show before uh oh, great yeah that we had a we had a lot of fun talking about all kinds of stuff uh, i like it was so long ago that i like sort of forgot about it and then I, when you were coming back on i was like wait a minute Steven's been on this before. <laughs> yeah. so, probably the best bass player I've ever played with. He's incredible. I've watched him, you know, in preparation for that. I remember going back and just like, geez, this guy's good. <laughs> He's it's amazing. Good. I got the, to me, I got the, I'm playing with the best rhythm section on earth. I think. Well, that's really important for what you do too. You know, that's like, so. it's all that like drives the whole train, you know? Yep. I can rely on them. It's amazing. <clears throat> it's sort of like uh, Pete Townsend writing songs for Keith Moon and John Whistle. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's a good comparison. It's like, you know, you can't go wrong. It's a songwriter's dream. There's nothing I can throw at them they can't do. So speaking of songwriting, have you changed your method or your process for creating songs from back in the day? Or are you still pretty much go at it with the same attitude? Uh, um. I don't flog stuff to death the way I used to. Okay. Like a record like Ozma to me, as much as I like those songs, it sounds flogged to death. Like we overcooked it. Mm. And it's just like, nah, it's kind of lost some of its flavor. I think, I think we would do a lot better job on it now if we re-recorded it. Um, But uh, Bullhead sounds that way to me too. Overcooked. But usually with bands like us or bands at that point in their careers, they don't really have anything else to do except re- rehearse. Right. <laughs> That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. That's it. So your first records is usually massively over-rehearsed. And the um, first record was okay. I think it sounds a little better than the other ones. Um, part of that has to do with uh, who who engineered it. Okay. Which was, uh, was our, the first record was recorded by this guy, um, 
Carl Herlofsen, who used to be in Hanoi Rocks, believe it or not. Oh, okay. Gotcha. He was on an early version of Hanoi Rock. He did our first album, and he really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff that I went back to after the next couple of records. Um, but he was unbelievable. And he taught me a lot about like doubling guitars and why that kind of stuff was good. I mean, I don't like hair metal personally, but um, usually those guys are pretty good players. And I don't really like the way the records sound, but they certainly know how to make records. Right. Um, and he had great ideas and was a really good, uh, a great guy for, to, to have our, our first experience for an album. You know, when you talk about doubling guitars. Are you t- talking about literally playing them twice or running a DI and reamping them again? No, literally playing it twice. Okay. Try yeah. that again. Now put another guitar on that. Yeah. Do that like that. Play this part of it again. You know, mm-hmm. double it, double it. It never had occurred to me. I mean, that was in 1986. I think we were recording uh-huh. that record. Um, and, uh, um, and I just couldn't believe how great it sounded. That's like, that's the sound that I've been hearing on records for my, you know, especially records I really dug. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, like a, um, um, Trace Ombres or something like that, but ZZ Top, the guitars are unbelievable on, on that. Um, I wanted something that was a hybrid of uh, punk rock and heavy metal mixed with like the Swans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hadn't heard anybody do that. That's what we were kind of looking for. And so when we got Dale in the band, I was looking for specifically for a drummer that could play Iron Maiden stuff. Put him into a punk rock situation. And Dale knew that stuff inside out. Um, That's what I wanted. And I go, and then, and then, because I knew if he could do that, he could do anything. He could, he could easily play hardcore music or punk rock music without any trouble at all. However, if you take a hardcore drummer or punk rock drummer, they certainly usually cannot play iron maiden so you're stuck right you know so if i say to him i'm doing this song i have the idea that i want to use a, a drum beat that's kind of a combination of uh, uh the guy from the bad brains mixed with john bonham mixed with uh, the guy from uh, um uh king or uh, uh gang of four he'd be like, okay <laughs> <laughs> got it i know what that I understand meant. what you mean or you know like iron maiden beat mixed with the guy from the bad brains you know Oh yeah. Okay. With that kind of feel on the Tom Toms. Oh yeah. You know, he'll, he'll get it. He can do that. Well, this is pretty much a straight iron maiden type of thing. Okay. I got it. And nobody's going to put that connection together because the music sounds so much different than that. Yeah. I certainly didn't, but no, that you say it, it completely makes sense. Clyde Burr was a great drummer. I saw them then, you know, and, and he was great. And um, that's what I wanted put him into a an arty punk rock situation with the ability to play full on heavy metal. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, it's not, that's as rare as a dodo bird. And, uh, um, especially back then it became yeah. much more, uh, common. I mean, she's like years later, like in the two long time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, then that became more, but that's like the, where the quote unquote metal core thing came, came into play. But you well, were, usually those guys aren't good with the art rock stuff. Right. No, you're right. They kind of have a, a bit, they're a bit formulaic or they can be not all of them. Of course, not all of them. There's a few, but there's very few people out there that could do what he does, mm-hmm. you know, without me having to explain it to him for two, two or three hours. <laughs> Cause I don't read music or write music. So when I write most of the material, I have to describe it to him in terms of that I understand that he can figure out like, you know, this has a hiccup in the middle of it. Oh, okay. You know, he'll figure out what that is. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, if I, you know, it's a, it's a feel. It's sort of like if you listen to the live version of Voodoo Child by, uh, uh, you know, what's his name? Uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan and the live version of Voodoo Child by Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Well, one of them has a hell of a lot more soul. <laughs> it's the exact same song, exact same notes, probably. But one of them has a lot more soul. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the difference. Yes, you're playing it correctly, but it's just not as good. <laughs> oh, oh man i know exactly what you're talking about you know and so, so many technically that's not something you can teach someone right there are so many technically amazing musicians that i i'm like technically you're very good but i don't necessarily want to listen to that you know no it just doesn't work doesn't work for me it has nothing to do with making music it's more like uh it almost becomes more like athletics in a weird way at that point where it's just like 
you're just trying to increase the skill, but not necessarily the emotion or the feel behind it. It's kind of weird. It's very strange along those lines. I also never had any interest in practicing that sort of thing because I never wanted to do it. Right. Why would you practice things you would never want to do? I don't want to play like Eddie Van Halen. As much as I appreciate him, that's never been my thing. I never struggled for that. So I uh, preferred a much weirder cross-section of stuff and um, didn't really want to play guitar solos and things like that exactly like someone else and just had zero interest. If I could play, you know, like, you know, imitate someone wholeheartedly and be just like them, it would probably be a combination of Billy Gibbons and Joe Walsh, you know, guitar-wise. That's that's interesting. I don't think a lot of people would would draw that conclusion. But I don't want to sound like that. But if I if I had to pick what I wanted to sound like, it would be that. Those guys are great. Nobody's going to talk. Nobody's going to play better than those guys. And they could write songs to mm-hmm. boot. I mean, the James Gang are awesome. ZZ Top are awesome, especially the early stuff. Um, people that don't like that stuff, I just don't know what to tell them. Sorry, I just don't. You, you're not speaking my language. <laughs> we're not on the same. We're just not. Do you on the want to talk just about pure guitar playing? It doesn't matter if you can play as fast as you want to, but those guys are always going to be better than you because they play better than you. <laughs> <laughs> that gets back to the whole, the, the sound is in the fingers sometimes. It, it's an, it's an Indian, not the arrow. Right. You know? And, and so you can get these guys with massive guitar gymnastics. It's okay. You know, but ultimately who's better. You know, those two guys are better. Right. They're just better guitar players. Sorry, but they're better. <laughs> They can, they can, they have the thing, whatever that thing is, they have it. They have the ability to make, take long drawn out bends and, and, and noises that have little to do with guitar gymnastics that make what they're doing much more emotional and much more exciting to me Mm -hmm. than fast as you can go. (laughs) It's like, that's okay, but I'm just not impressed. And, and if the song's not good, I don't care. I just don't care. Well, and see, that's the great thing about Eddie. You know, Van Halen, like, I, that was never, like, my number one favorite things ever. But out of the shredders, he, he to me, had the most feel. You know? Oh, my God. He was a great. And if you if you had seen, I saw Van Halen in the early 80s, like, Women and Children First. You saw that tour? They were, if you saw that tour, they were, and, and the next one, the, uh, the uh, um, what's the name of the record? I can't think of it. The next record, the fourth record. If you saw either one of those tours, they were unbelievable they're one of the best rock bands i ever saw I nobody's better than them i can't imagine that that's got to be just next level i don't nobody think- no nobody they're not there's nobody close no you know as ridiculous as they look they had really kicked song like romeo delight that song's awesome who doesn't like that no kidding man you know i mean if you don't like that stuff i don't know what to tell you it's rebellious it's well executed they have a big in the middle of the song that they uh, leave in there because the feel is so good um they were just good and mm-hmm. live there was just nobody better and just insane showmanship insane playing that the whole everything, everything everything and and it was raw and evil sounding and no redeeming social value whatsoever everything i wanted rock and roll <laughs> is rebel music it's rebel music that's what it is and punk rock is even more rebel music mm-hmm. that's what's good about it and you know i heard this thing um that the guy, the singer from the cramp Lux Interior City, was the thing about metal is that it's it's that I like is that it's rebel music, right? Mm-hmm. It's rebel music. Mm-hmm. That's that's what's good about it. Just like Jerry Lee Lewis, or it's just it's just carrying on in that same tradition, or or Little Richard, or any. It's it's not really any different than that. What do I want to see? So, you know, very few times does anything top that on a on a, on a purely uh, 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 aggressive level, right? Not much. Just and punk rock out. spoke to me in that same way. And a lot of it. Even though I didn't like all of that, I also don't like all heavy metal, but I like the rebellious nature of it. Totally. Mm. Well, before I get in trouble, I was pulling up, this, uh, I told the Facebook group that you were coming on here. And yes. I'm going I'm to pick some questions from them. Let's see if we got, uh, let's see if we got anything not ridiculous. Um, <laughs> let's see. I'm willing to answer any ridiculous question. <laughs> Okay, let's see. David Poe says thoughts on going from readily available boss pedals to make things to make things. What? Oh, basically, I'll sum it up. He says going from readily available stuff to more boutique stuff. Uh, you know, the theory being like boss stuff's easy to replace on the road. The boutique stuff might be a little more difficult. Do you have any opinions or 
thoughts on that? Well, the boutique stuff I've went to is my own stuff. So I have plenty of those. Right. You got backups. You're good. I got backups. I'm good. You know, um, uh, so that, that doesn't bother me, but it, you know, if it comes down to it, I, I could easily go back to the boss stuff without any trouble. Nice. Yeah. John Chick Jr. He has a pretty good question. He says, uh, okay. if you could have a theme song play every time you walked into a room, what would it be? My boyfriend's back and you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's fantastic. Um, some of these questions you already hit on, actually, so we don't need to. I'll re-answer them. <laughs> <laughs> You'll say it twice. It was, one of this is like the Hillbish uh, heads versus the Sun Betas, which you already talked about. Um, Those are good. Also, the Hillbish stuff. Um, I also did a, uh, a compressor with him. That's great. I have that too. Compressimizer, and then we just did a new one called the Deathimizer. Ooh, which I is see. really great. It's like an octave divider. Oh, really wow. Yeah, one of those. That sounds like fun. It's really good. And I will hopefully come out with a new one. I'm not going to say what it is, but um, uh, I think he's a genius. And I, I love his stuff. And I love the the box designs are great. There's a few things that I wanted. And I'm like, I wanted to plug them in from the top, not yes. from the sides, which I hate. <laughs> Plugging in the sides, it just takes up more room on your pedal board. It's true. It's true. You know, I wanted big pedals, not little tiny. You know, I want things that were made out of metal. Not plastic, not junk. You know, when it made out of metal, or if I used it as a hammer, I could cave somebody's head in with it. You, you know? definitely could. Yeah. And the pedal would probably be okay afterwards. That'll be okay. I want it designed like to, to be able to go out on tour with me and not uh, get destroyed into powder. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and uh, um, that's what we were going for. And the, uh, the, 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 now you can line them up in a row on the, bo- on the, on the, on the, on the pedal board. They're exact same size. They fit perfectly and you plug them in from the top. So you just boom, 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 boom. They look great. My wife does a, the um, design form, the, the image design form. That's really cool. And uh, uh, very much into it. So yeah. anyway, uh, I like the, uh, I like the soft touch switch too, by the way. Love it. That was a uh, Hillbitch's idea. And I was like, that's a great idea. He did a good job. Sometimes those can be implemented and they're, they're a little, um, they put a little bit too much delay in them to avoid the popping. And he got it. Oh, yeah. He got it just right. He got it just yeah. right. He he's a, he's a knows what he's doing. He's a great guy. I've I've been messaging with him. We're gonna get him on the show one of these days. So oh, you okay. should. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Said, so do you ever, Heath Williamson says, do you ever record with wooden guitars in the studio? I use all kinds of guitars in the studio. Okay. We just did a new recording where I meticulously kept notes of everything I used, every single kind of guitar. Oh, that'll be great for the gear nerds. <laughs> that'll be I used cool. a Firebird, a two SGs, um, a Hamer. Uh, um, what else? Um, uh, Travis Bean, uh, an electrical, uh, uh, Stratocaster. Um, I think that's it. Nice. Some songs I used all those guitars. Do you? No less Pauls. No less Paul on any on any on any song. No less Pauls on this one. Okay. No. Well, there's been records. I did a whole album, the Nude with Boots record, because people were saying all kinds of crap. I did the Nude with Boots record. Not only did I do it with a Les Paul, I did it with the first Les Paul I ever had, which is the one I used on Blue Port Treatments. And I used it for every single part of every song. You think anybody noticed? Right. Nobody said a word. <laughs> all Les Paul, one Les Paul. Do you think it sounds better or worse? And I'm not a vintage guy. I like new guitars. Yeah. Brand new. Yeah, if I can get them brand new. So all the guitars I have now are ones I bought brand new. Okay. Not, not before, you know, I bought them brand new. They're not brand new now, but I bought them brand new. Yeah, that reminds me, the the your signature EGC is the first aluminum guitar I ever played. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, what'd you think? Well, there was one here, and I was like, this was really interesting. And I, I played it here in a shop in Portland. And I absolutely am like, oh, geez, why did I do that? Because I'm going to have to get one now. Yeah, like, they're great. It I was such a different experience than than anything I'd had before. You know, I was yes, really, really shocked. Like, yeah, I was blown away. Honestly, um, yeah, I load mine with Les Paul pickups. Oh yeah, yeah, Les Paul custom pickups in the rear position, and then the front position is the problem. I always had with Les Pauls and their pickups was the Les Paul uh, front position pickup, which is the rhythm pickup, is always too hot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because I need to switch all the time. I use the middle position and and for a, a blend of the two, and it's all it was always too hot. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I wanted was uh, I have to turn it down too much to get it to not feedback. And so um, uh, I have a low output pickup in there. 
Gotcha. And solve the problem. And it was really funny when I told Kevin that he's like, that's such a great idea. And then when he did it and we put a new guitar, he goes, Oh my God, so many people are going to love this. You yeah, know what? Nobody yeah. loves it because people, the guitar players are too conservative. No, I was, I was, I was like, I wasn't sure what to think. Like, I was like, this is, this is unlike, it almost sounds, I've said this about a few different guitars over the years, but this one, especially, it almost sounds like it has a piano quality to it. Yeah, it's great. I mean, people think that there's too much high end. I was like, I've a beat them. It has more low end than my Les Paul by far. Huh? It's too much high end. I don't know. I, I, I just, can't that. please anyone. You know. Let's see. Let's see what else we got in the group here. There's so many big, long questions that it's like hard to read on the fly. Um, I'll answer with a big, long answer. Let's see. Here we go. Joshua Dupree. I'll chime in. Mr. Buzzo, I hear your influences of Black Flag and other punk bands in your music, but you've managed to put flavor on it that is like no other of that time. Now that you guys are such a big influence on so many bands, are there any that have taken the Melvin's influence and put their own original spin on it that have stood out to you? Uh, 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 well, yeah, some big ones like Nirvana and uh, Soundgarden. Yeah. Oh, those all oh, those bands. <laughs> There's two <laughs> that literally change music on a global level. Mm-hmm. Those would be the biggest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Nirvana influence is like well, well established. <laughs> So the, I think he was probably uh, he wants to know for anybody anyone's ever done that. Yes, they have. Yes. You know, it doesn't get any bigger than that. I've always been happy that our music was able to impact things on a global level. That is That's a, that, that is a, do you ever feel like it's, you're like the music nerds Nirvana? Um, I think it's cool, but you know, we're far weirder than those bands. So it's no mistake that um, we sold a lot less records. And so we, there's a lot less people who know who we are. I, I'm fully aware of that and okay with it. I get it. I'm not jealous. People have this idea that I'm jealous or something like that. I, I, I couldn't be less jealous. Um, uh, I'm very happy with who I am. I'm jealous. People are not happy with where they are or who they are. I'm not that guy. I've never been that guy. If I was that guy, I would have quit a long time ago. I understand my place in the world. It's fine with me. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that it's had that much of an impact. I was right. <laughs> you were my right. Instincts were right. They were right at a time when very little people had any interest and we kept doing it anyway because I was sure we were onto something. And 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 they those two bands, just those two bands prove it. Mm-hmm. You were onto something. You were correct. Your musical instincts were 100% correct in what needed to happen. Now, if the rest of the world doesn't understand that, there's nothing I can do about it. The rest of the world rarely understands anything I do. That's okay. I'm okay with that. I get to work with people like Kevin Burkett. I get to make records. I get to work with uh, Hillbish. I get to do all these things. I get to play guitar and have fun in a band and play with excellent musicians. Life doesn't get any better than that. I've been married for 28 years to the same woman. I mean, I'm, I'm a happy guy. And to have this whole idea that I'm pissed off, I'm not pissed off about anything. You know? you know, I think that's really important to to like. They say that like comparison is the thief of joy, and it seems like you've uh, you've come to that conclusion without having to be told. <laughs> you know, oh, I don't care. I mean, I, I have always appreciated those that, those kinds of things, and I was always always very appreciative that they mentioned that they mm-hmm. talked about it. Now they're fans; they're not they they don't like what we do because they have very little understanding in what those people do. Well, I mean, very little. They don't really understand where their music is coming from. They don't understand those guys at all. If they hate us, which is the very essence of what those bands are doing, then they understand nothing about those bands. Certainly not where they come from. They're big fans of ours. And it's not because they're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they're just far more sophisticated than the vast millions of people who bought their records. You That's know, just the way it is. How how many people do you think took the path that I did, where I found you through Nirvana? Oh, lots. That's mm-hmm. fine with me. Yeah, uh, I couldn't. Uh, that, that kind of thing doesn't bother me. I'm just glad you got there at all. Yeah, I mean, so am I. <laughs> I was like, happy about that. I was like, we've continued to make records. It's not like we we never slowed down. We've those bands have have fell by the wayside and and came back. And, and, you know, a lot of other things like that, but we never stopped. I make records. We make records all the time. 
and still and have managed to do a massive, massive amount of music. We have a new thing coming out now, uh, soon. It's a four album all acoustic record. Yes. You know, yes. Where we reimagine a, a new song just came out today, uh, um, Pitfalls of Serving Warrants, another single, uh, um, which came out really good. So I got to do that with uh, Dale and Steven. They play acoustic bass, acoustic guitar, and uh, Dale plays uh, um, brushes on the record. But if you hear it, I think people are going to be severely surprised about how great that stuff sounds, even though it's acoustic. I was like really, really surprised. I was like, what is this going to be? And I can't believe how it translated. It you works. Know? It does. You know? that I mean, tells me the bones are good. If that's it. A good song is a good song. It takes take somebody like Hendrix or ZZ Top or those guys. It wouldn't matter how they recorded. It would be no. good because the songs are good. Mm-hmm. And these guys, these guys that I play with are able to translate it, get that feel no matter what we're using. We can literally go into a studio with any kind of equipment and make a record. It wouldn't matter. We just go, we're just going to use whatever is at the studio. It would still work. Right. Because, because they're good. And because I can handle that. I can, it's, it's, those are just tools. Guitars are just tools. Amps are just tools. You know, you, you can make it work. When I go and fly somewhere uh, and play a, a gig, I'll just go, give me, you know, X, X Marshall amp with uh, two 4x12s. It's going to sound generic and not as good as what I normally do, but I can certainly make it work. Mm-hmm. I can make anything work. Do you get a lot of inspiration out of new gear? Or is new it, gear? Yeah, like his gear really inspires me to make stuff, but I know some people don't get that excited about it. How do you feel about it? Oh, I love I love gear. I mean, I I've, we use a lot of different stuff in the studio. We we recorded Toshi Kasai in a in a studio in LA, and um, we uh, uh, have lots of guitars. So a lot of times when I do a double now, uh, at the time I didn't have, I'll I'll double the same part, but I'll use a different guitar. Mm-hmm with exact same amp settings and everything. Yeah. And that gives it enough towards different enough. I got on my way to do things of that nature, but I love guitars. I think guitars are one of the most amazing, beautiful things on earth. Is there any that are just like on the, I don't know, the bucket list for lack of a better term, like, man, I really want to get one. And yeah, one. I, have, I have pretty much everything I ever wanted. The only one I want is a, uh, um, I think it's called a um, Rickenbacker 481. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, with the slanted pickups. Yes. Those are not cool. the one I want, but I don't want to pay 2000 bucks for it. So I'm just not, I'm not that interested in it. <laughs> that's, that's really about it. I mean, I probably would take a couple of old venture uh, ventures model Mosrites. Oh yeah. Those are sick too. That would be cool. Um, but, uh, I would even take a remake of one of those, but I don't know if they're making those. Maybe they are. I don't, I don't pay attention that much to gear. You know, I like Gibson's some fenders, um, I have a, you know, Mustang. It's really nice. I'm about 35 years old. So I'm like, I bought that new. I have a, a Jaguar. I really like it's new. That's probably seven or eight years old. It's really great. And I wanted that one because it had a painted headstock, which matches the body, which usually doesn't happen. I thought that was really cool. And those guitars are really severely underrated. I think they're really cool very, guitars. Very, very. And don't like the jazz masters as much. I think the Jaguar is a better guitar personally. Um, uh, but uh, they're weird to play. Um, I have one I really like. Um, I still like Les Pauls. I, I, I have three, um, two black ones and a, uh, my original red one. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the red ones is 70, 1970. I bought that in the early 80s for $400. And I, I thought I, I was so much money, I couldn't even imagine how I could spend that much money on a guitar. I still have it. You know, but I'm not, you know, I'm not precious about like, I'm not going to ever go out and buy 1965, uh, you know, or some early 60s Strat. I couldn't care less about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't care less. It's like, it's fine. I get just as much enjoyment out of new guitars as I ever would out of buying an old one. You know, the Firebird I have is probably five years old, six years old. That thing's great. Brand new Gibson. You get a good one. You get a good one. They made a lot of bad old guitars. You know, Hendrix always played new guitars. <laughs> That's right. He sounded great with his brand new guitars. He had That's to right. he had light them on fire. So did the Velvet Underground. So did Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. That's true. So Those were brand new guitars. At the time. Brand new guitars. Velvet Underground played all that stuff with brand new guitars. <laughs> so yeah, we want to be a combination of the Velvet Underground and Iron Maiden. That's a good combo. Yeah. All right, and mixed in with Captain Beefheart. Okay. As we always say, we're Captain Beefheart playing heavy metal. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard that. That's hilarious. That's it. When you think about it, that's what we're doing. That's true. That is true. Captain Beefheart played heavy metal. It'd be the Melvins. 
you're really like drawing a lot of, you're connecting a lot of dots for me now. So yeah, that's, that's our, our big inspiration. We did a record a few years ago um, called uh, Everybody Loves Sausages, which is all covers of bands that were big influences on us that maybe people hadn't thought of. Oh. Like the Fugs and David Bowie and just, you know, the, the Roxy Music and all kinds of stuff. That record, check out. And people didn't really get that. They go, oh, do the covers record. It's like, well, it's a covers record of bands that are influences that maybe you didn't think of. Mm-hmm. Like there's no Sabbath cover on there or anything. As much as we like that stuff, it was too obvious. It was like, let's, let's think about bands that maybe people hadn't heard of. That makes a lot of sense. You know, that, that, that wouldn't or hadn't decided, oh, yeah, the Melvins, that's what they sound like. And we thought maybe that would clear things up to people, but there's kind of people kind of miss the point. So, mm-hmm. oh, well, that out. I love it. So it, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, Venom and bands like that are on it, you know, dude, that sounds Venom, awesome. Venom, was, I, I doubt I doubt there's a, another band who's done a covers record that includes Venom and Roxy Music. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. And the Fugs. <laughs> Yeah. Well, man, hey, I know we've hit that point where you got it. Right, man. But this was so fun. Thanks. Oh, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. This is great. All right. All right. For Buzz, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Well, there you have it. King Buzzo, Buzz Osborne. We did it. We did the thing. It happened. That was real. That was a real episode. My mind is still kind of melting from that. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you're not familiar with the Melvins, which is hard to imagine if you are someone who listens to this podcast, but if you're not, dig into that back catalog. Get going. Do some research. Find that riff-filled library. Get involved. I mean, seriously. What is going on? If you don't know the Melvins, please get to know the Melvins. They are definitely one of the most influential bands out there. I think uh, Buzz was... You know, selling him short when he, uh, you know, he talked about just those, those two little bands, you know, those few little bands they may have had some impact on. You know what I mean? Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you really like this podcast and you want to support it and keep it on the airwaves or internet waves, whatever waves these are, I'm not really sure. Bit waves? I'm not sure. What am I talking about? It's late and I'm tired. But if you would like to support this show, You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can see that little subscription button, or you can go to patreon.com slash tone mob, and both of those for about five bucks a month will get you extra content delivered to your ears every week. Unfortunately, Buzz wasn't able to hang out for any longer on this particular episode, which I totally understand. He had a bunch of interviews to do, but I do have a sneak peek of an upcoming episode that won't be released for quite a while coming uh, at you this week for all of those supporting subscribers, plus all of the who knows how many hours of back catalog bonus episodes are over there. There's a ton of content. There's a ton of stuff. And I super appreciate everyone who supports over there. Thank you so much. And as always, if you can't, hey, I get it. I totally, totally, totally understand. But if you could please tell someone about this podcast, tell somebody about it. I know I ask for this every week. I know. It sounds like I'm begging because I am. I am begging. Please tell people. That's all we have with podcasts. We don't have algorithms to drive these things forward. We don't have, you know, magic memes that can teleport these things, you know, into your friend's feed. All we have is you supporting the show and telling your friends. And that's what it's all about. So thank you so much for everyone that's supported for all these years. I promise to deliver the best stuff I can, and I, I'm i going to keep doing it. So with that, I think I'll sign off and try to get some shut-eye before I answer a bunch of these emails. Or after I answer. Yeah, after I answer a bunch of emails. It'd be weird if I went to sleep. And Anyway, I'll talk to you on the internet very soon. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you, that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. 
I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com slash stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out.